I'm Jesse. I've got one last devotion that I want to share with this parallel between Luke chapter 6 verses 37 through 42 and the example of Boaz. We've spent like four days delving into verses 37 and 38 in particular, but I want to keep on going now verse 39 through verse 42. You're going to see this picture of Boaz showing generosity to Ruth. He gives, so it's given back to him. He gives a huge measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, poured into Ruth's lap, into her shawl. Verse 39, he also told them a parable, can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you're, you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye? Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Man, Christians behaving badly became this, this stream of memes on the internet. Every now and then it comes back again. Uh, atheists, ironically, who, are, who have no creed, who have no logos, who have zero basis for any kind of ethic at all, and never will necessarily, I mean necessarily, unavoidably, absolutely undeniably the moment they begin behaving according to any kind of moral axiom, they have ceased to be atheists because they've appealed to a moral standard, okay? Now, nonetheless, they love catching Christians in our worst moments and then broadcasting it and publishing it. Uh, Christians behaving badly has fallen out of fashion lately, but it, it comes back every now and then. And in fact, even there, now Christians have kind of taken up this mantle and we've kind of developed this for-profit slander and libel and gossip industry where literally people will talk about others' past mistakes and then earn money from it through ad revenue or subscriptions. And this is, this is detestable to God. This is the polar opposite of what Jesus teaches. Um, we have skipped and completely disregarded God. Like we have completely, completely ignored Jesus in Matthew 18, who gives us a clear process for this. It's genuinely funny the way that Jesus depicts it. When you've got a speck of wood in your eye, but you know, in, in your brother's eye, do you have a plank of wood, a beam of wood sticking out of your eye? That's genuinely funny. I mean, like picture it. It's deliberate on Jesus' part. It's genius, obviously. But it uses the word hypocrite harshly. Like Jesus calls out hypocrisy. But get this, that's not the final word on the man in Jesus' humorous example. He calls him a hypocrite in verse 42 and then follows that immediately with instructions to now take the beam of wood out of his eye. And then what happens? According to Jesus in red letter text in Luke chapter 6, then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Okay, like so it doesn't mean that once you've messed up and once you've been a hypocrite, you are to wear this scarlet letter. It is to be branded upon your chest with a molten hot iron. It is permanently seared with the sizzling sound of your skin burning into your chest forevermore. You shameful piece of junk. Walk around with your head low until you die. You pathetic gutter trash. Like That's cancel culture. Rather, Jesus says, repent, man. Like, you hypocrite, but it doesn't stop there. Take the beam out of your eye. And then, good grief, you'll actually be able to 
help other people repent too. This is, this is David in Psalm 51, who has just committed murder, by the way, committed adultery, by the way, committed treason, I would argue, and then he's committing to the Lord that he's gonna teach transgressors God's ways. Like, whoa, whoa, David, how massively hypocritical of you. Who are you? You committed murder, you committed adultery, you're gonna teach other people not to sin, dude? Yes, because he has repented and he has abided richly in the grace of Yahweh. And so he is with full integrity, inviting others into the same grace that he's found. You take the beam of wood out of your eye and then Jesus said, you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think it's a, a beautiful example. I think it's beautifully restorative. I think it's incredible redemption. If sinning disqualifies you from holding anybody accountable, then there would be no accountability in the church. The only people who can call out sin in the church are other sinners, okay? May we repent, take the beams out of our eyes, and then we can see clearly. All of this is thematic. It's not like Jesus talked about the blind leading the blind, going off on a random tangent. Uh, and it's not like he had this random side note, um, you know, about, oh, by the way, a disciple is gonna be like his master. Everything from don't judge and you will not be judged to take the beam out of your eye so you can see the speck in your brother's eye. All of this is cohesive. All of it is a call to repent from hypocrisy, be real and honest and generous with one another, use the measure, uh, 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 show a generous a measure of generosity to others, and we can expect that same to be done unto us. All of this is thematic because if you're gonna disciple people, you need to have integrity, bro. Your disciples are gonna come out just like you. And if you're a flaming hypocrite, guess what you're gonna produce as you disciple people? A bunch of other stupid hypocrites. If you're blind, you're in no position to lead other people. Do you see the, 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 the lineage from that imagery to the imagery of the plank and the speck? It's clear, like once you can see, you can lead others. But if you are blinded by your own hypocrisy, you've got beams of wood in both eyes, you're in no position to lead people. Okay? This is particularly convicting to me as a pastor. I know that not many people should presume to be teachers because James chapter 3, verse 1, we're judged more strictly. So what am I to do? I'm not sinless. I have committed sins and I'm going to. Stats show that I'm probably going to again right in the future. But, but what am I to do? I have this word of God. So I repent for my own sin. When I fall, I get back up again. When I fall short... I repent, I secure that repentance with accountability. And then having taken the beam of wood out of my eye, I can see clearly to remove specks from my brother's eyes. This is why I'm not a blind guide. This is why I want to produce disciples who are gonna be like me. And I can do that with full integrity, not because I've been sinless, but because I've repented when I've fallen. All of this is brilliant. All of this is genius. All of it is thematic. And all of it I believe was poetically portrayed quite beautifully and quite literally really as Boaz pours out generosity to Ruth. Someone who could not pay him back. Someone who was an outsider. Someone whom he loved, who had invited him to propose to her in Ruth chapter three, but he knew that things had to be done with integrity. So tomorrow at church, we're gonna see exactly what Boaz does. He's gonna go before the elders at the city gate and true to form, you're gonna see him go once again, even above and beyond in the measure of integrity with which he conducts himself. 
Boaz may have had sin. I'm sure that he had personal sins of his own. He's not perfect. He's not Jesus. His descendant, Jesus, was the perfect one. But in the book of Ruth, insofar as it pertains to that particular testimony, we all that we see from Boaz is him living up to the standard and going above and beyond, showing generosity and going above and beyond. And for that reason, God's going to go above and beyond and showing generosity to Boaz, mercy to Boaz, love toward Boaz, blessings upon Boaz. Watch this text in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, typified centuries prior in Boaz and Ruth.